What an absolute disaster. Disaster in Afghanistan. I have to admit, if I sound a little uh, punchy today, I was up basically the entire night. Well, there's a there's an on an unrelated matter, but also then because I was up, I was monitoring all of the the video and the breaking news as as it was coming out of Afghanistan, and it's I'm, I'm on think I think it was on Friday, and I asked the question, like, what happens if they they do murder a whole bunch of American citizens, diplomats, troops, contractors, people that are there. Like, what happens if you don't get everybody out? If this goes much more, uh, you know, quickly than they were predicting, and here we are. And I don't know if anybody has an answer for that. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for uh, joining me. I appreciate it. Thanks for letting me be a part of your day. Pete Callender here, and uh, the phone number is 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. The president is going to address the nation. I guess he's coming back early from his vacation. That was in doubt a few hours ago, but now apparently they're going to bring him back from vacation, and uh, they're going to, which they initially said he would he would talk to us at some point. But they didn't say when. And so now they aren't. That obviously then raised all sorts of questions like, well, is he unable to address the nation? Is there something wrong? Like, is he is he incapacitated in some manner? I mean, you may not be old enough to remember this, but I'm old enough to remember when President Trump would be questioned about his mental fitness for office, his clarity of thought, his his physical health, his mental health, obviously. Like, I'm old enough to remember that. It was a while ago. But every single time he did not do something or perform in a way that people expected him to or wanted him to, then he like it raised all of these questions about the 25th Amendment and what do we need to do to get him out? Because he's obviously endangering America. And oh, and by the way, so is Mike Pence. So we don't want him either. So we'll do a double impeachment, get him out too. And then Nancy Pelosi can be president. That's really what it's about. Because she, we trust her. Right? <laughs> like that was, where, where are all of those people? See, this, this is the problem. It's why I kind of hack off people on both sides of the political aisle sometimes. Generally, it's mostly people on the left. But every now and again, I hack off some folks on the right because I attempt, I'm not always, I'm not perfect, but I'm human, right? So there's, there's no way I, I can be uh, consistent myself, but what I strive for is a consistent application of standards. And right now what we are seeing in Afghanistan is a disaster. And if this was President Trump, he'd already be impeached. He would already be impeached over this. Now, also, I don't think, and I'm not a foreign policy expert by any means, but I don't think that comparing uh, what we're seeing right now as a failure of leadership that, um, you know, Trump lined this up and this is all Donald Trump's fault. I don't think that's the win. I don't. I, I don't think that's a really great talking point because you ran on doing things better than him. <laughs> so 
That was your message. You pitched yourself to us. Not that I voted for Joe Biden, but you pitched yourself to the American people as somebody who made better choices than Donald Trump. How is this a better choice? And I understand I have I have the uh, the history because there are a whole bunch of Democrats that are like, this is all Donald Trump's fault. And there's a guy uh, who sent out a series of tweets. And so, of course, uh, the left is like, this is Trump's fault. Here's the proof of it. I have the, the tweet thread as well. And here's the thing. Even if I give you all of that argument, I will give you that entire argument that Donald Trump set about the wheels in motion here for where we are now, right? For the pullout, for the drawdown and everything else. Like they entered into this, he undermined Afghan forces, all of that stuff. And I'm going to get into that. But even if I give you all of that for the sake of this argument, this is still Joe Biden's plan. This is still, he's still the commander in chief of this military. And I've seen a lot of people making this comment and I kind of have to agree Like, maybe less of a focus on critical race theory and transgenderism in the barracks. Like, maybe a little less focus on that, and maybe just a smidge more focus on getting our people out of Afghanistan. Oh, and also all the people that helped us. And they flip-flopped on that. They initially said, well, we're not going to be able to do anything. We would totally do it. But Donald Trump, ooh, he's bad. Like that, that was their original argument. And now they've flipped on that. I mean, thank goodness. This is the videos that I have seen. And you can find them. They're available. It's heartbreaking. But I also have a lot of, I have some questions too. Like, for example, why, are, why is it like all men running for the planes? I don't see a lot of women. And from what I understand about Taliban life, it's way worse on the women. So, like, they should be the ones that get airlifted out first. That's just my, like, I don't know, you know, my radio guy assessment here. <laughs> just think. But, no, I understand women are not valued as equal people in that society, in that culture. So, no, they're not going to be running for the planes. Their property, right? They're not even. Uh, do they even count as people? I don't. I don't know specifically what the status there is. But yeah, they, they're they're already um, having to wear the burkas. They're already, uh, you know, being targeted. There and and every girl and woman who went and got educated, that was taught to read, right? They're now in danger, right? They could very well be stoned to death because. They learned to read at some point over the last 20 years. I'm sure all of the people with their pink hats are super, super concerned. They may want to, I don't know, take some direct action and actually make a difference in some women's lives. I don't know what that would be. I'm just saying, you know, they, they rallied around the cause before. This might be a good opportunity. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Sorry, I'm just looking at this video clip of a CNN reporter who yesterday 
was wearing like her regular clothing, and today she's got her head covered and everything covered. And、uh, she's saying about the Taliban taking over in Afghanistan quote, they're just chanting death to America, but they seem friendly at the same time. <laughs> oh, my goodness.、Uh, let me go to the phone 704 570 1110 and 1 800 WBT 1110. Let me go over here to Jerry. Hello, Jerry. Welcome to the program. How are you? I'm great, thanks. How are you?、Um, I'm、um, all right. Good.、Uh, two quick things、uh, in regards to Kabul. I have one word for you Benghazi.、Mm-hmm. Has anyone ever been held responsible for Benghazi? No. The other thing is,、um, I just heard today about a paper called The Global Times. Even bigger than what is happening in Kabul, China has、um, told the world what they're planning to do, and that's take over Taiwan. And once that happens, our economy is going to be crushed, and people need to start waking up because that's going to be even more momentous and life changing for all of us than even Kabul is right now. So,、uh, why, do you, why, is the, uh, why does the economy collapse if they move on Taiwan?、Uh, because Taiwan is considered Silicon Valley East.、Mm. And if, chip, if we don't have enough chip makers here in the United States manufacturing, so everything that we use that has chips in it, China will control. Well, the Russian Foreign Ministry、uh, said the Taliban is not a threat to Central Asia. The Iranian president said they're committed to neighborly relations with Afghanistan. And、uh, in a commentary directed at Hong Kong, China's state run Global Times that you mentioned cited Afghanistan in a signal to democracy activists not to heed repeated American promises to stand by Hong Kong.、Um, so I'm sorry, I think, yeah, so you said Hong Kong. I think I said Taiwan on accident. I, I, I acknowledge I'm kind of punchy. Again, only like three hours of sleep. But.、Um, Yeah, so this is like this is the、uh, for the Hong Kong. Oh, no, you did say Taiwan, didn't you? No, that's right. Because China is referring back to the fact that、right. America did not stand with Hong Kong. Right. And that now America is not standing with Kabul. Right. And so they, they essentially said to Taiwan, you better get ready to submit because America is not coming to help you. Right. Well, and, and like honestly, is there, a, is there a, a better argument than what we're seeing in Kabul right now that we won't? Um, I mean, even, and look, you know, people can say that we should have gotten out of Afghanistan or that we should do it now and you know, we were there too long. You can make all of those arguments, and that's, that's fine. But I don't think anybody thought that the exit would look like this. I thought that, I mean, my sense is that virtually everybody assumed that there would be better.、Uh, Uh, administration of the exit. But what do well, I know? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not sure better administration under the, for, you know, of the exit under whom. Well, I, I mean, Donald I Trump is our. I don't think anything we've seen from this group in the last seven months would give me much hope of that. No,、But、I agree. If you, if you have thousands of people in a country, govern, you know, quote, governed, ruled now, By the terrorists that took, that, you know, that took us down on 9 11. Why wouldn't, they, why wouldn't these, our folks think to get any Americans that were there out first? Yeah. Well, I mean, on Friday, I was reading the quote from the White House and the State Department saying, no, 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 everyone, everyone's fine. We got shelter in, they, they told people to shelter in place. They were like, 
this is fine. Like, it's, they're not gonna they're they're not gonna make it to Kabul, and they made it there in like two days or something. Like, this is like I'm not sure. Meanwhile, you got uh, the uh, the uh, the Intel community. They're putting out through Ken Delanian with NBC News. He's sort of the CIA uh, uh, info launderer for us. Uh, they're like, oh no, U.S. officials say there was no intelligence failure. But then they also acknowledge that nobody predicted Kabul would fall within days. But that's not an intelligence failure. I I heard a reporter say this morning uh, on an alternative um, news podcast that John Kirby, I haven't found the quote, so I don't know for sure, but this person is legit. John Kirby, who's the spokesperson for the Pentagon, Mm -hmm. said, talked about how Afghanis are being airlifted out of the country that Americans who were there will not be prioritized over the Afghanis and that those Afghanis are being brought to military bases around the U.S. That is all correct. That is all correct. There is a, yeah, Jackie Heinrich, uh, she had this, and this was from overnight, uh, 1143 last night. Uh, The Pentagon confirms that the Department of Defense is preparing to house thousands of Afghan refugees on American military installations immediately, including Fort McCoy in Wisconsin and Fort Bliss in Texas. Documents obtained from a source show the DOD planning to potentially relocate up to 30,000 applicants into the U.S. in the immediate future. And, I mean, you've seen the video, I'm sure, by now, right, Jerry, where people are, like, tying themselves to the plane. And then falling off to their death, like that's what has been happening. I I have, and I said the same thing. Forgive me for interrupting. No, it's fine. Where are the women and the girls? Yeah. And I tweeted tweeted a little while ago. It's it's not very nice. It makes (laughs) me, like, almost start to vomit in my mouth when I think about what's going to happen to the women and the girls that are being abandoned there. Yeah. It's a disaster. It is a humanitarian disaster, and they're, uh, the Taliban is not going to be better, right? They're, they're being recognized by all the worst actors uh, on the global stage. Jerry, I appreciate the call. Thanks so much for uh, chatting. And if you would like to weigh in, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. fella on Twitter named Comfortably Smug does a podcast as well. Let's uh, let's run it down. Putin gets a pipeline. The Taliban gets a country. You lose your job. You pay twice as much for groceries and gas. Maybe get robbed and shot walking down the street. American decay. Oh, and the inflation, right? Yeah. Uh, so far, not really loving the first seven months of the Biden administration. <laughs> All right, uh, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Despite the president's fantastical assurances a little over a month ago that Afghan security forces had the situation well in hand and there'd definitely be no hasty Saigon-style evacuation of the U.S. Embassy, the Afghan government has dissolved. The Taliban control Kabul, and the U.S. Embassy has indeed been hastily evacuated. I'm just seeing another... Tweet coming from uh, Andrea Mitchell from NBC News, and uh, there's apparently a request for, here it is, 
Uh, she reads email on the air from the Washington Post publisher, Fred Ryan, about, quote, an urgent request from the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post as well, quote, to have our 204 journalists, support staff, and families transported by U.S. military from the civilian side of the Kabul airport to the military side. And uh, Jeff says hostage taking and ransoms are the next phase, Pete. Buckle up. We are about to do a lot of negotiating with terrorists. Bill, welcome to the program. Hello, Bill. How are you? Hi. Uh, it may sound harsh, but when you're dealing with a very, very primitive people that are just, it's totally separate tribes, uh, Trump had the right approach. What you tell them is we not be, may not be there physically, but you do one single little thing and we will wipe out your whole family or your whole tribe. So you tribes, you better decide, do you want to be one of the ones that will be wiped out by uh, going against the United States? Or do we just leave you alone, do whatever, do whatever you want to do, but you do anything out of hand. And that works perfectly, by the way, on any situation in the world. When people have commi- are committing crimes... And uh, there's the the family. Uh, you can threaten their whole family will kill you. Yeah, but if but, you don't do what we say. But Bill, the question is, do they believe that threat? You do the you do the key. You do what? Yeah, you say you do that thing. We're going to kill all the prisoners that we already have. We're not going to do that. Been, America's not going to do it. America's you not going to do that. No, America's not going to do that. Well, I can tell you, I mean, like, what, I'm, Donald Trump would not even order the execution of every prisoner of war. Well, let me let me point out what's going on in the United States right now. Mm-hmm. There are crimes committed because the laws are not enforced. Mm-hmm. The criminals are not punched and our country is being destroyed. Where all I have to do is enforce the laws. And I don't give a what damn counter excuse they have why they're committing the laws because their great-great-great-grandfather was a slave, which is bullshit. They're punished of German. Thanks for that, Bill. Had to throw in the, uh, had to throw in the, the S bomb. Did you, when talking about all of the, all of the black people committing all of the crimes, it's not a compelling argument. Just a heads up. If you're trying to persuade people, that's not the way to do it. At all. All you're going to do is alienate people that might otherwise even be agreeing with some of your points. That's not the way to do it. Um, hey, look, if I was still doing a podcast, I wouldn't care about the uh, the FCC guidance. <laughs> but uh, but I do. It's And it's not necessary. But also, like, the um, what you're what you are advancing is I, I do find this kind of ironic is that what you are advancing is essentially the same sort of a judicial approach that you might find in a medieval kind of society. <laughs> and that was initially what Bill, you know, attacked as like they're this like seventh century civilization. And that is accurate. I do agree with that. I mean, right now what they're doing 
is anybody who's got cell phones, they're taking the cell phones, they're beating people. I mean, the, the executions have begun. Um, yeah, I mean, this is it. It's going to be carnage. There are a lot of lot of people that are going to die. Because of the decision to pull out of Afghanistan. And we have 20 years of evidence and mistakes and, you know, wishy-washy politicians and the American public. Like, I think everybody's, everybody's got some blood on their hands in this in America. I do. I think everybody's got some blood on our hands. People who wanted us to go in, people who were like, oh, but don't go all the way. Don't, don't do the bunker busters. Oh, don't drop the, remember there was discussion. I, re- I remember this. There were discussions about a tactical nuke. Remember that? Right. Yeah, it was early on. Like, maybe we should drop a tactical nuke on these caves. No, you can't do that. So this idea that we're going to, you know, murder all of our prisoners of war in direct violation of the Geneva Convention. Like, I'm not so sure that that would fly. I don't think America would um, would would stand that. Now, maybe that means America cannot win a war. With this enemy, in which case, then that's kind of scary, too. But um, but I, I just I, I don't see it. And I don't think Biden's going to do it. And I don't think Donald Trump would have done it. I don't think any president would have done it in the modern era. Steve, welcome to the show. Hello, Steve. Hey, how you doing today? Hey, I'm good. What's up? Uh, I just want to make a comment. Um, I can't really tell you what I do, but I have connections with people that have worked with the Afghanian people overseas in the training department. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I started seeing this stuff go down, I made a couple of phone calls and I asked uh, what was their take on what's happening. And uh, the consensus I got was that the Afghanian army wouldn't fight mm-hmm. and that all the training we gave them was useless because they stand down the minute they have to stand up. Why And why is that? Do you know? Well, they didn't elaborate on that, but I mean, we spent billions of dollars on training, and then we would only have 10 people stand up and say that was going to fight. But like the last caller was mentioning about us killing them, they're the ones who are telling the families there that if you fight against us, we're going to massacre your whole family. So I guess that would make you stand down. Right. And, and like right now, I've got uh, reports here of Taliban going into areas and uh, you know, they're telling the the sons, the boys, you know, you either enlist with us or, you know, we, we murder your family. And then you obviously get the pressure, not just from the Taliban, but you get it from the family saying, well, just go with them and, you know, it'll be okay. Yeah, definitely. And that is a terrible situation. And those people that are trying to get out, uh, we should have sent several planes to save those people. I mean, I know we've, we're taking on refugees all the time. But those are definitely been politically persecuted as we speak. Well, and here's the other thing. They don't have to come to America, right? Like there's Correct. this assumption that we have to bring the, every one of the refugees here. We, we don't have to bring them to America. We could bring them to another country that is simpatico, that's maybe a little bit more in line with their cultural norms or something. I mean, we don't have to bring them here. That is that is correct. There's other countries that would probably definitely would accept him, but um, right now there may not be nobody to accept if yeah. we wait much longer. Yeah, no, I agree, Steve. Thanks for the call, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's a it's a disaster. 
earlier caller, Jerry, mentioned the Global Times. It's a state newspaper out of China. And they sent out a tweet that said, From what happened in Afghanistan, those in Taiwan should perceive that once a war breaks out, not if, notice, they say once a war breaks out in the Straits, the island's defense will collapse in hours and U.S. military won't come to help. As a result, they will surrender quickly. Once a cross-straits war breaks out, while the mainland seizes the island with forces, the U.S. would have to have a much greater determination than it had for Afghanistan, Syria, and Vietnam if it wants to interfere. Right? What did Rush Limbaugh always say? That the world is governed by the aggressive use of force. And this is the argument. I, I describe myself as a lowercase l libertarian. It's the argument I had with the capital L libertarians, which is why I'm no longer a capital L libertarian. But on the foreign policy front, um, there is always going to be nations that project power beyond their border. And if we are not going to act as the force, uh, the force for good, then okay, but who steps in to fill the void? Please tell me. Who does that? What nation or nations do that? And I've had some pretty interesting answers to that question over the years, whenever I've asked it. Um, the most interesting one I think I ever got was India. <laughs> Somebody said India. Like, yeah, I don't think India's going to do that. Sam, welcome to the show. Hello, Sam. How are you? Uh, yeah, I'm a little curious. Oh, sorry. Thank you for taking my call. Oh, yeah, sure. Anyways, um, I'm a little curious how we left all that equipment and supplies over there, and the Taliban seemed to have it. Like at the snap of the fingers, I mean, we didn't like turn it over to the Afghan military to use it. And I'm wondering if somebody might have sold it to them, like Hunter Biden, to, for a profit. <laughs> I mean, let's face it. I mean, it just seems almost strange. The Taliban, it's almost, how did they get a hold of that? I mean, our military's not even gone. And the Taliban already has our military equipment supplies we left there. And another caller yesterday had made the comment of, why on earth, we're going to leave it there, why did we not blow up the airfield that we built yep. and freaking put all the ammo, take the ammo dump, put all the equipment around the ammo dump and blow it? Right. No, 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 no. No profit there. Well, that, and that's the thing I don't understand is we've actually left the Taliban now better positioned than when we went in because of all of the materiel that we have left. I got a question for you. Yeah. All that equipment left there. Can the Taliban still get the stuff fixed on the under warranty? That's a good question. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how long the warranty, but, but they could get the extended warranty, and uh, I'm sure people have been calling their cell phones offering it. So, yeah. All right. Sam, thanks for the call, buddy. I appreciate it. Um, now, I, I I was at a loss on Friday. I don't understand why we why – we, I don't understand why we left the way we left. Somebody needs to explain this better to me, you know, not I me, mean, not just to me, but there needs to be some better explanation for the timetable and heard uh, Mick Mulvaney. He was on with um, Bo Thompson this morning and, you know, they do their regular segments on uh, Mondays and you know, he said, nobody thought that they would collapse in 72 hours. Now this is, this kind of gets to the, um, this kind of gets to the uh, the question of like who's to blame, 
because there are a lot of Democrats right now saying this is all Donald Trump's fault. The U.S. locked the Afghan government in a death spiral since 2018, says Thomas, uh, yeah, Thomas Jocelyn. Um, and this was over at the longwarjournal.com. Many thought, which, by the way, this sounds to me sort of like uh, they're very hawkish over at this website. And he says many thousands of Afghans were killed or wounded fighting the jihadis as Washington pursued a delusional peace process. The ANDSF, the Afghan National Defense and Security Forces, so the Afghani army, was hollowed out before the Taliban's offensive. So that's why they were able to move so fast according to this guy. And I've got more of his tweets. First, let me bounce over here to Roger. Welcome to the show, Roger. How are you? Hey, partner. Hey. This is a little hot around the edges. Yeah. Uh, I graduated high school right in the middle of the Vietnam War. Uh, I, had, I went into service. Uh, I lucked out. I didn't have to serve in Vietnam, but some of my friends did not, and some didn't come home. But I, I saw 20 years ago when we all this thing started here, some of the same mistakes were made with the military generals, and especially the politicians mm-hmm. who put effect on And all these folks out there who vote for Biden, the American people don't understand the brutality of the world out there beyond our borders. It's going to take another 9-11, which will be to wake the American people up. And the next time they hit us, it's going to make 9-11 look like a cake cakewalk, a picnic. Yeah. I'm afraid. Uh I keep up with world history and the news and everything and try to stay informed. But a lot of folks who are so busy in a little race of living don't know what's going on. And all these people who vote for Biden, hey, it's coming back to haunt them. To now, stick it to Republicans and the conservatives, mm-hmm. they voted for Biden. Now, Biden's going to stick it to all of us, blue, green, black, and white, brown. So, Thank you very much. Yeah, hey, Roger? Yes, sir. So, question, what, uh, what do you say then— because this is what Biden is going to say. This is my expectation when the president comes on at 345 this afternoon. My expectation is that he's going to say this was Trump's plan. This was, He's just following Trump's plan. Yes, sir. He probably will. They still blame it on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you seen any of the T-shirts out there with a picture of Trump on it says, have you missed me? Do you miss me yet? Well, but what's your but what what, what do you think about this? This assertion that he's, I anticipate he's going to make, and you do too. Like, what's the response to that? Hey, it's too late. He stuck it to the Afghan people as well as the American people. Uh, nobody hates war any more than a soldier. Mm-hmm. So it, it's been terrible the way things have worked out. All those folks who've lost family members. Yeah. And... Uh, Walking around, lost arms and legs, fighting for this country, and Biden just threw it all away. It does seem like that. It feels like that. And Roger, I, said, I yeah, thank well, you, f- well, well, sir. Yeah, go ahead. One more time. Uh-huh. As I said, I graduated high school during Vietnam, and I always said, if I had a son in the military, we got involved in some war like this. He played. They played heck ever getting my son into a, a military to defend this country in this type of warfare. And then 9-11 came along, and all these good people volunteered to go fight and protect us over there and keep them off our shores. Mm-hmm. Now look at us. Well, yeah, and I do wonder if this is now going to welcome more attacks uh, in the future, because, like, do you think the uh, the Taliban is going to be more uh, emboldened or less so? I think probably more so. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. More boldened. Yeah. 
Roger, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Good talking with you, and uh, thank you for your service, and welcome home. 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Stranded Alien on Twitter says, Pete, I find it very ironic that the U.S. is bending over backward to negotiate with terrorists, and the terrorists have a policy of no negotiating with us. How the tables have turned. Well, it's because who has the, who believes they have the upper hand? Who's dealing from a position of strength versus weakness? News Talk 1110-993 WBT. This advanced copy of Biden's speech. I think we've got a little bit of the audio. Yeah, that was it. Just a snippet. Just, you know, they sometimes they embargo this stuff. Just remain calm. All is well. I think that's really going to be the, uh, the nature of the pitch here uh, this afternoon when the president... Speaks to the nation. He is coming on at 345. Um, and I just saw something to, to, to do where apparently the uh, yeah Eric Erickson, the talk show host out of Atlanta, he says, here comes the spin and the press will fall in line. The rapidity and ease of the Taliban's advance only reaffirms that Biden made the right decision and that he should not reverse course. See, so... It looks like a complete Charlie Foxtrot right now, and that's proof that he made the right call. Because if he made the wrong call and did it too fast, it might look a lot like like what it looks like right now. Um, also, R.B. Pundit on Twitter, he's a former writer for various publications, he said, uh, his name is Ryan, I forget his last name, but he says, uh, probably a good time to remind everybody that Joe Biden actually tried to talk Obama out of giving the go-ahead to kill bin Laden. Right? This is one of the things about Joe Biden. Like, his resume is filled with really bad foreign policy ideas. (laughs) And I don't know why people are really terribly surprised. I guess it's one thing to think it. It's another thing to actually see it unfolding. Do you see also the, uh, there was a picture of him from because he's on vacation and um he was in you know the the war room or whatever and he's like you know got the tv on and he's sitting there at the table you know he's getting briefing and the white house put out this picture to show everybody that you know he's he's on top of things and he's making the decisions the tough calls he's doing the things that a president does even though he's vacationing at camp david now charlie spearing who is a White House correspondent for Breitbart. He used to work at the Washington Examiner. He points out, like, there, there are folks noticing that, you know, they got the clocks on uh, at the top of the wall there, and they got, the, you know, London, Russia, and, or Moscow, I guess, you know, London and Moscow and uh, Beijing and, you know, Charlotte, right? They got all the different clocks up there telling you what time it is everywhere. And the clocks appear to be wrong. Well, wrong if they were supposed if the picture was supposed to have been taken like today or yesterday he says the clock question from camp david photos is gaining momentum 
Fox News featured the question at 7 a.m. The question is, why do the clocks show a three-hour time difference between London and Moscow? There should only be two-hour difference. Why? Because the clocks, either the clocks are wrong, or the photos are from before March 28th because of daylight savings time. So which is it? And the White House is not replying to questions about this. Now, to be fair, Press Secretary Jen Psaki also on vacation, and so so she's not available. 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Let me head on over here to April. Hello, April. Welcome to the show. Hey, Pete. Hey. You know, I think what concerns me, and it's something my mother had mentioned a while back, we have a really soft generation. They're not like the greatest generation, as we call them, like my grandparents and, and my, my parents, who actually had to sacrifice when we had to go to World War. Mm. And I, I, I kind of wonder if that has a lot to do with some of the decision-making that's being made, because everything they've seen and everything they know is on TV, just like video games they were playing. Mm-hmm. But we've got a whole generation who does not remember or was not even born for 9-11. So they, they don't have a clue what it's really like. They can look at the old video on TV and stuff, but they're not seeing what it was really like. Mm-hmm. And they, they don't know what it's like to face drafting. I, you know, I, I don't agree with, with conscription into the Army, but I'm just saying they don't know what it's like to face the possibility of we might go to war and you're all going to go and you're not going to get a choice. And I just wonder if a lot of the decisions that are being made are leaning on how soft and weak that generation seems to those of us that have actually seen this stuff and gone through it. Right, but I also think that might be a bit, um, and look, don't get me wrong, I am usually up for bashing the millennials and Gen Z at any opportunity, okay? I'm a Gen X, so, like, I'm totally happy to do that. But, um, like, this criticism can be applied to sort of the American way of fighting wars now going back to Vietnam, right? Unfortunately, yes. Yeah, so I don't know if it's necessarily connected in whole or in large part or or maybe not at all to the softness of Gen Z. And although I think Gen Z, they may generation or is Gen Z the first one after nine eleven? I forget when. Um, I think so. Yeah, when they were born. Yeah, because then there's the millennials, right? And who like they were around two thousand. So. Like they were raised, I mean, but everybody that's been raised, you think about it, everybody under the age of 20, right? They've all been raised in the war on terror culture. And so, like, isn't that kind of on us for not keeping this stuff front and center to keep reminding them of why they should care more than uh, maybe they have? To an extent. And I, and I, and I got to tell you, some of the behaviors that you see with the, with the, with the generations that you and I both like to bash Come from the parents not making things difficult enough on them. I don't know uh-huh. about you, but, you know, there were things I had to do, and there were consequences if I didn't do them, and I've seen these kids getting away with not a whole lot of anything. Yeah. And I just wonder, you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, one of my favorite threats that, that I had an uncle that used to throw out was, if you don't behave, boy, I'm taking you down to the Army Center and signing you up today. <laughs> and I just wonder, it's like, nobody does that anymore. No, and that's probably for the best. I don't know if you would want those uh, like people who get dragged down there to be standing next to you at the uh, at the front line. But uh, April, I appreciate your call. Thanks so much. Let me get Paul on here before the break. Hey, Paul, how are you? Oh, I'm doing well. How are you? Hey, I'm good. So what's up? 
Well, you asked before for like a, a possible explanation why we were leaving all this uh, yeah, uh, military the- equipment behind. Uh, back when ISIS was in, in power with Obama, um, we when Trump came in, we were able to knock them down because they were trying to establish their caliphate. And this whole thing is a spiritual thing. And now they have the means to ensure their caliphate that it you know, permanently uh, established because they, they can defend it now. And so the military allowed that to happen so well, as to have a perpetual why, enemy? Why it sped up so fast was so that we didn't have a chance to bring the equipment back or, or you know, disarm it. Yeah, but they've known for months that, I mean, Trump negotiated this deal. So they've known for a very long time that this, that this was coming, so, but we didn't so pull our here. resources. What you're saying is that the Biden administration purposely left it behind. Well, I mean, and the army and the planners and everybody else, like, I don't understand. And even Trump, I mean, if he, if this was his deal back in 18, wouldn't you start drawing down and, and you know, doing, well, you know, disposing they, they of the equipment? They didn't follow that plan. No, I mean, well, obviously not, I mean, if there was a plan at all. But was the reason for that? Because they had to leave all that equipment behind. Right. So why? So that the the, the 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 Muslims there, that's their religion their, and their government. So you're saying the military wanted to supply the no, Taliban? Not, not the military. It's the but Biden, they were in charge of it. The Biden regime is be, is the is the puppet of the the globalists, and this is what they want. It's going to be establishing one world religion, and it's going to be Muslim. Well, that is a theory. I don't subscribe to it, but that is a theory. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here, 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. I just saw the president. They were showing the live feed from the White House. The president has arrived on uh, the helicopter, right, Marine One, and he's he got off it. And I, I turned to Ryan, and I was like, what is he going to do? Is he going to, like, walk around the bushes again? Is he going to, like, forget where the sidewalk is? Um but no, somebody escorted him. That's how they got around that. I guess they're going to escort him from the chopper all the way to where he needs to to be. Um, I did also notice that he was leaning forward as he was walking. And um, I remember that being one of the things that a lot of the anti-Trumpers were pointing out that Donald Trump leans forward when he walks and stands and that that's a sign of dementia. They, that, that was what they were saying at the time. That like that was a sign. Um. Now, um, I will say also that um, if your belly has gotten so big that um, like it's like whole, uh, it's like flopping down over your belt at Dunlap syndrome, Dunlap disease, like that's a sign that you need Ph.D. weight loss in your life. I've actually gotten onto the program now and I've been doing it uh, about a week going very well. And, um, look, if you're like me, you put on some weight during COVID. Okay. And like, I would like to very much blame, you know, Roy Cooper and the politicians for, uh, for locking us down. But I mean, honestly, you know, it's not really their fault entirely. I've been battling it my entire life. So I come back to Charlotte and I had heard PhD weight loss on the radio here on WBT. And I was like, I know that program because, uh, people I knew in Asheville 
were on it as well because they have a clinic up in Asheville. And uh, one of my old coworkers, he and his wife, they lost like 200 pounds combined. So I go in to the Ph.D. weight loss clinic in South Charlotte, and I could tell different kind of approach than other diets that I had tried in the past because I talked about the psychology of weight loss, and that was really interesting to me, but also like very critical. Changing the way you think about food and the way you eat, it's a mental process as well. Uh, I met with Dr. Ashley Lucas. She's the founder of Ph.D. Weight Loss, and uh, she talked about how so many people that they help uh, – they have to, you know, they've got some sort of an addiction component to their plans and their treatment course. Uh, PhD weight loss. They use proven, personalized, customized nutritional guidance. My plan's not going to be like yours, um, but it also retrains your mind so you're positioned for lifelong success. So go to myphdweightloss.com and take your first step today. Let me go over here to Ray. Welcome to the show. Ray, what's going on? Hey, I'll hey. get down to the point. Let's go back to Obama and looking for a vice president. He found the dumbest guy he could find, <laughs> brought him in. He knew Joe was a stooge and a crook, would never challenge Obama on nothing. Off they go. Joe does his thing. Obama does his thing. They get rid of key generals throughout the whole time, McChrystal, Petraeus, uh, Flynn, Many, many more. They dumbed down the generals. We got them now. Trump gets in. Trump gets hit with impeachment for four years. The guy never had a chance to really do his thing as a president. Uh, Joe comes in, becomes president. In my opinion, Trump should have taken them on when they tried to get rid when they got rid of Flynn and O'Bannon. Trump should have dug in, but he listened to the politicians. Trump would have had a better defense, and he would never have gone through what he went through. Well, Instead, yeah. he goes along, mm -hmm. he tries to do it kind of nice, he gets nastier and nastier, we wind up with Biden. So I think part of the issue there uh, is that he did not have people around him that knew the game well enough. It was one of the things that endeared him to people, right? Was that he was an outsider. Exactly. But the, yeah, I mean, that was part of the problem was you get, and I'm not making any kind of an equivalence here with Jimmy Carter. If anything, Joe Biden's, uh, <laughs> what, what his display over the last seven months is more like Jimmy Carter, but, uh, Jimmy Carter ran into some, uh, similar kind of headwinds in that he didn't have enough people in Washington, DC that exactly. owed him favors, and D you know, and uh, Donald Trump didn't either. If you look at Joe Biden in the 50 years he's been in Washington, maybe you can give me an answer to this. I doubt it. Off, off the top of your head, <laughs> can you give me one thing he's done? The crime bill. He did that crime bill where he sent like a lot of African-American men to prison for really long periods of time. No, I mean, one good thing he's oh. done. He ain't done oh. nothing. This good guy's thing. been a crook from day one. I yeah. mean, no, that's listen. I remember watching this guy all yeah. along, and like, it's unbelievable. And now people say to me, "Well, you know, this and that." I said, "Well, listen, who'd you vote for?" And they'll look at you, and people won't even tell you who I voted for Biden. Mm -hmm. They won't say that anymore. Most of them, yeah, because they realize, man, we got we got a loser here. You know <laughs> He's I mean? a loser. He's a, a loser. loser. Ray. All right, <laughs> thanks, Ray. The guy is a loser. I appreciate no it. In my mind. <laughs> I appreciate the call, Ray.
music is unsettling. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. I mean, it's just building expectation. Who's this? Dave Matthews. The DMB. 704-570-1110-1800-WBT-1110. I uh, had something else here. Where was it? Uh, oh, yeah. John Hayward from Breitbart says, My favorite part of Joe Biden's gun control agenda is the part where he gave the Taliban a few billion dollars worth of American guns. Yeah, that's a good one. Also, Joe Biden is responsible now for two humanitarian crises, plus a a couple of uh, constitutional crises, and uh, we're only on month seven. And the uh, Taliban, this is Thaddeus McCotter, says the Taliban planned for this day. The United States did not. It's unconscionable. And Rick, welcome to the show. Hello, Rick. How are you? Hey, Pete. I'm doing great. I'm uh, going to have to follow your jokes, huh? (laughs) <laughs> that's all right well if you can make it funnier by okay, all means well, attempt you know, to do I so am hopeful about the afghanistan thing yeah because as i watched all those trucks go into kabul yesterday all those dirty guys with their beards i bet none of them's vaccinated none was wearing an n95 mask so i think you know in the long run maybe combines playing the long game in the long run they're all going to die of COVID. So, uh, yeah know, oh that's oh i didn't even think of it this is the this is the six-dimensional chess this yeah, is exactly, it. Exactly, exactly. He's so far behind, he's ahead of us all. Man. But, uh, you know, he, he announced back in, in April, Pete, that uh, we were going to be out by September 11th. I don't think, you know, he set a world record for reversing Trump's executive orders and issuing his own. I don't think Millie and Blinken are going to come in and say, you know, oh, we were just following Trump's orders on this. So, uh uh, I think but, he's going to say, no, well, I think one he's going to try to find. I know why we haven't heard from Susan Rice, oh. his advisor. She's on yeah. YouTube right now looking for a video that we had nothing to do with and don't agree with. I'm sorry, you uh, you dropped out for part of that. Oh, okay. Well, what I was saying is the reason we haven't heard more from the Biden administration is because they're looking for a YouTube video that they had nothing oh. to do with. <laughs> If only there was a YouTube video. That's right. Uh, Rick, thank if you. Only. <laughs> right, man, I appreciate it. Take care, sir. Thanks for the call. Uh, I um, I think what they're going to try to do is they're going to blame Trump's plan and try to conflate the execution with the idea. Does that make sense? The idea is we're getting out. We're ending the never-ending war, right? Like that was what Trump talked about. Right. And by the way, this kind of goes to a point. um, I'm sorry, I forgot to write down who this was. The never Trump grifters, not regular people, just the professional never Trump frauds like folks at the Bulwark and the Dispatch and the Lincoln Project, et cetera, should have their noses rubbed in Joe Biden's abject disaster forever. Okay, that was not the right one I was supposed to read. Oh, it was Martyr Made. Martyr Made. I forget the fella's name. That's his Twitter handle, though. Martyr Made. He's the one. Remember, a couple weeks ago, he wrote that like really lengthy Twitter thread about why people don't trust government, why Republicans and Trump supporters don't trust the government after the last, you know, five years. Anyway, he says, note how the solutions of the enlightened liberal internationalists usually boil down to sending American boys disproportionately drawn from Appalachia, the South and other deplorable regions 
to go fix the problem with guns. Isn't that ironic? Greg, welcome to the show. What's up, Greg? How are you? Hey, Pete. Uh, Thanks for having me on. Sure. Um, uh, As I told the screener, I'm a graduate of a couple of senior service schools, 23-year service, and a Vietnam vet. doesn't take all that education, though, to realize who made the mistake. And the mistake was he let the enemy know his strategy. Mm. That's all it took. You will hear him at 345 point over his shoulder at the former administration as being at fault. He alone is at fault. And, uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't take a much lo- a larger force to, de- uh, you know, to defeat a, a smaller force. And the Taliban is, you know, is proving that. We proved that during the Revolutionary War mm-hmm. and the war, the Battle of the Pacific. You had to know some sensitive information and know that the enemy did not know that you know it. Mm. And again, Biden violated uh, that uh, that premise that uh, you should not let the enemy know your strategy. He, he blurted it out. We're going to be out by September 11th. Well, guys, what do we do next? They're doing it. Well, and also the timing of it, which is during the fighting season, which I think is sort of like our football season, as I understand it. No, the fighting season over there is like the good weather, right? So they've got the weather where they can go and they can they can fight because when it gets, I guess, cold, they 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 hole up in the mountains or whatever. So or maybe when it's hot, um, I don't know. But the, this is the fighting season, and why would you time this? And as you said, like you telegraph, you're not even telegraphing it. You're 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 saying it, right? It's like you don't even have to decipher Morse code for this. It's it's right out there in in English, and right, and then you're doing it at the time of year when it's most conducive to engage in the military activity. Even a retreat is is called, is, is, is spoken of as a tactical retrograde. <laughs> this was a totally political move, and it's backfiring. He's, he, he's do everything he gets. So do you, all right, so uh, uh, like, I guess that would be uh, contrary to what some of the earlier callers suggested. You think that this was just, that this was a mistake. This was not intentionally done in order to advance some other kind of agenda you you think this was just him thinking this was the right call and getting it wrong well it was probably the right call that should have been made years ago after we uh took out uh, osama bin laden which was our original reason for going in the first place right and, and realizing too that he was uh, much of a, a figurehead, more of a figurehead than anything. Uh, but we waited too long, and we engaged in nation building, and the building is crumbling right now. So that's all I've got to say. Right. And, uh, Greg, I appreciate the call. Thank you for the service, uh, for your service as well, and uh, welcome home. You're worth it. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. It's very kind of you. Seven zero four five seven zero eleven ten and one eight hundred. WBT eleven ten. Let me go over here to Lloyd. He's up next. Hello, Lloyd. How are you? Welcome. Hey. Good afternoon. You know, one point that I haven't heard made that I, I think needs to be discussed is the fact that the Biden administration is actually operating under the guise of just some bizarre and blind arrogance. Mm. Because I don't think on the international stage we may have ever been seen as as weak as we are now. Um, And for me, unfortunately, I'm a veteran as well. 
and I've seen some of these things occur. Uh, it, it harkens back to when the, uh, the, the Iranian uh, crisis and, you know, all this stuff was going on with Jimmy Carter. But the moment that Ronald Reagan stepped into office, it all went away. And the reason was because suddenly we were seen as fierce again. And we had, there were, the bear had teeth. And it wasn't just walking around ambling, wanting, wanting to see what was next. I believe that's occurring. I'm, I'm afraid we're going to see more of the same. And it's not, it's not about the Biden administration anymore. It's about those young men on the ground over there yeah. that we need to get home. But it's also going to be seen as a problem because we are walking around now in this same situation with open borders. Yeah, that's amazing. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I I don't understand how anyone could conceivably construct an argument that is anything other than the Taliban is stronger now than they were before 9-11. Absolutely. And not only are they stronger I would argue that we are far weaker as mm. well. Yeah. Yeah. And just from a moral credibility leadership position alone, not to mention, you know, all the other factors. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here. Let me read to you real quick this quick couple of tweets from a fellow by the name of Thomas Jocelyn. He is a senior fellow and uh, at FDD, I forget what that stands for. I, that, it's not relevant, though. It's FDD's Long War Journal. That's He's the senior editor of the Long War Journal. And uh, it is a widely read publication on counterterrorism and related issues. He says, the U.S. locked the Afghan government in a death spiral since 2018. Many thousands of Afghans were killed or wounded fighting the jihadis as Washington pursued a delusional peace process. The Afghan National Forces was hollowed out before the Taliban's offensive. And they had many other well-documented problems ranging from rank corruption to ghost soldiers who were very difficult to spot out in the field. Uh, No, they just didn't exist. Right. They were on paper. So there was corruption there. Also incompetence. Afghan leadership failed, too. But the U.S. endured the failure by forcing Kabul to fight for a draw while the Taliban fought for victory. The Pentagon won't release casualty data for the Afghan forces. But you can tell from reporting that the Afghanis took huge casualties over time. And especially since the U.S. signed the phony peace deal with the Taliban in February 2020, the U.S. spent the last years operating under the delusion that there was no military solution to the war. The Afghans fought under that delusion, taking heavy casualties as the Taliban and Al Qaeda fought for victory. This was a key American failure. The Afghan forces and other officials were demoralized by the American surrender to the Taliban in February 2020, more than a year before the Taliban's blitzkrieg advances. The Taliban spent that time buying off and wooing disaffected commanders and officials. The Trump administration granted a lot of legitimacy to the Taliban, even pretending that it was America's counterterrorism partner at one point. Both Trump and Mike Pompeo 
made the absurd, the former Secretary of State, made the absurd claim that the Taliban was now on America's side in what was formerly known as the War on Terrorism. If you're an Afghan commander and you see a Secretary of State endorse the Taliban as his counterterrorism partner in Doha, while the President of the United States wants to invite the Taliban to Camp David, what are you going to think? The Trump administration locked Kabul out of the talks while granting concessions to the Taliban, including an uneven prisoner swap that freed 5,000 jihadis from Afghan prisons. Some of them quickly returned to the fight. Again, this had a dire effect on Afghan morale. There's much to criticize with respect to the Afghan forces and the U.S. military's attempt to stand up to the Afghans, but... The Afghan army's failures did not occur in an Afghan-only vacuum. The end game was also a, des- a direct result of American incompetence. So this is what a lot of folks on the left, and apologists for Biden in this situation, this is what they're going to uh, amplify, this argument. That this was all set in motion and Biden couldn't do anything about it. Everybody got demoralized because of Trump and Mike Pompeo. So... And look, I don't know that to be true or false, right? I'm just presenting this guy's analysis. I don't know if I, I'm not an you know an expert on <laughs> Afghanistan, and um, it seems like though that that might be problematic if you're demoralizing the Afghani troops and stuff and their command structure. That's maybe why they fled. But then again, they've been doing that for a long time. Like I remember this war. Like I. This is my entire adult life. This war has been going on. And I remember 9-11. I remember I was working. I was not 30 feet away from where I'm sitting right now. So um, I just, I, I remember soldiers walking away from the fight. They've been doing this for years. I, it, this almost strikes me as, you know, kind of an, an apologetics. It does. It's like, well, you know. This is uh, Trump's fault because, you know, they he undermined their willingness to fight. Yeah, but they've been unwilling to fight in a lot of other instances over the last 20 years, too. So I don't get it. I don't understand the culture. That's my big takeaway. <laughs> I do not understand Afghan culture. Uh, let me go over here to Gavin. Thanks for hanging on. Welcome to the show, Gavin. How are you? I guess you're talking to me. This is Calvin. Calvin, how are you? I'm well. It's good to hear your voice. I I I, I know you've been on a while. We chatted earlier. Yeah. I, I'm going to be brief. I know you're very very busy. It took me a while. I uh, waited online to you. That's just because I was running my mouth. Yesterday. That's just because I'm running my mouth. That's okay. I, I, <laughs> what you're saying is good, and I'm I'm glad to know that that that, that I haven't called this radio station in four years. I have not called. I, and I used to be, as you well know, but I've done. I, I was done with it. Hmm. And but I brought you back from I, the abyss. I, I, yeah, I back for you because I <laughs> thought maybe you would add a little bit of sanity to the, to the issue. And, and obviously you have. I just heard you. I heard you a little bit yesterday. And I'm, I'm really glad to know that there is some conservative people out there who still are, have the capability of thinking. And I appreciate that. Okay, well, uh, thank you, Calvin. I really, I, I really do, because you know where I am, and not change. As a matter of fact, it's this, 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 even worse than it was. I, I, I love the two-party system. I think it's necessary. I think it's important. I think it's critical, and I hope we get back to a two-party system. 
best of luck to you and your wife, and, and I hope you the best. I wish you the best to get back on prime time or get on prime time. I'll be right behind you, bud. Well, I, this I, is I, prime I, time. I, I, I will listen to some, uh, you know, I, I've got. Well, this I've is, got, so the whole reason I took the, I took this, uh, this job, Calvin, was because I knew that you could not get the podcasts regularly. That would, that was beyond your, your, uh, your your scope of expertise, and so I said, "Well, I just got to get back on the radio in Charlotte." I, I, listen, I'm an old school. I'm a reader, not a clicker. <laughs> See, so I did it for you. That's that's really what it came down to. Well, I don't believe that, but <laughs> the thought is very nice. Well, Kevin, it's good to hear your voice, sir. Take care. Thanks so much for calling. Thank you, buddy. All right, and, bud. and a good luck. All right, thanks so much. Take care. Um, how much time I got here? Let me get to Pete. What a great name. Hey, Pete, yeah, what's up? I, hey, I agree with that offer for the FDD. Uh, in fact, here's what I think, Pete. We bring back the Bush-Cheney doctrine, okay? You get back in there, we finish the job. Oh, and I don't gosh. care if it takes a 1,000 more years. <laughs> you go in there and you get it done. That is going to be a very hard sell, I think. Well, this was part of the problem, though, is like, you know, you're trying to bring a a civilization that is, like, almost quite literally in the 7th century, and you're trying to bring it to the 21st century, and there's a little bit of hubris there, right? Like, that they are just like us, and if we just show them how, you know, we live, that they're going to be like, oh, that's definitely superior. Pete, it sounds like all the answers just come easy to you, to me. (laughs) That's not true at all. I spend a lot of time reading and uh, listening to other people way smarter than I am. Pete, I appreciate the call, sir. Thanks so much. Again, great name. One of my favorite names. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here. The editors at National Review, not entirely huge fans of Donald Trump, if you recall, <laughs> they, uh, they lit into Joe Biden in a piece, Joe Biden's Afghanistan debacle. Even as the Taliban's advance accelerated in recent weeks, Biden insisted on staying the course with his top envoy, Zalmay Khalilzad, and his press secretary, Jen Psaki, farcically warning the Taliban that if they took the country by force, they would lack international legitimacy. As if these ruthless Islamists, given to suicide bombings, assassinations, and the brutal oppression of women, care one whit what anyone thinks about them at Turtle Bay or Davos. The Trump administration set in motion the events that led to the current debacle with a preposterous peace deal with the Taliban. The agreement obligated the U.S. to leave by May of this year, although the Taliban obviously negotiated in bad faith and were in violation of the deal from the very beginning. It would have taken resolve and finesse for Biden to back out of the deal, but This administration has shown no reluctance to reverse field in other areas like Iran or the Paris Climate Accords. Doing so in Afghanistan would have been much better than abandoning a minimal, sustainable American commitment that kept in place a stalemate that was vastly better than this alternative. Right? Because we were at a stalemate. Were we not? I mean, 
like to that point, I think we were talking earlier. Uh, somebody, uh, one of the callers earlier said, like the you know kids today, they don't they don't really ha- they don't have any memory of nine eleven, right? People who are under the age of twenty, they don't remember nine eleven, or even over the age of twenty to some degree, right? They're you know one or two years old at the time uh, we were attacked. They go on to say, even if Biden insisted on pulling out, there was no reason to do it this heedlessly and incompetently in the middle of fighting season and a gathering Taliban offensive without any alternative U.S. base in the region, without any substitute for U.S. air support or the American contractors who kept America uh, or uh, Afghan planes uh, up in the sky. Have you heard this component, too? Apparently, there were a whole bunch of, you know, aviation mechanics and they go around and, you know, make sure the planes work. And apparently, like, they were sidelined, which guaranteed that the planes couldn't fly. Why would you do that? Like, I have so many questions. And I'm not accusing anybody because I don't know it. I don't know the answers. And I don't want to assume the worst motive uh, of the people that were in charge of the planning, and I'm using that term very loosely, <laughs> but... I don't I want to understand how you could make this many mistakes and they all go one direction, right? Because as I've said before, I'm an Occam's razor kind of a guy. Right? The most obvious solution or the most obvious explanation, chances are, is the correct one. And at some point you rack up so much so many pieces of evidence that all point one direction. And then you're like, okay, gross incompetence that just so happens to achieve the very thing that we've seen? Or was this somewhat, to some degree, desired? The Biden administration prides itself on its alleged professionalism, the editors at National Review say, especially in contrast to its predecessor. But this was rank ineptitude that made the situation much worse for no reason. Over at the Wall Street Journal. Uh, President Biden's statement on Saturday, washing his uh, his hands of Afghanistan, deserves to go down as one of the most shameful in history by a commander in chief at such a moment of American retreat. As the Taliban closed in on Kabul, Mr. Biden sent a confirmation of U.S. abandonment that absolved himself of responsibility, deflected blame to his predecessor and more or less invited the Taliban to take over the country with that statement of capitulation. The Afghan military's last resistance collapsed. Taliban fighters, by the way, this is a good point here to the earlier argument that, you know, Trump's agreement undermined the will to fight among all of these Taliban or uh, Afghan fighters. Um, If that was the case, then what did Biden's statement do? Right. Taliban fighters captured Kabul and President Ashraf Ghani fled the country while the U.S. frantically tried to evacuate Americans. Oh, Wall Street Journal. Okay. You evacuate places. You don't evacuate people. Unless, of course, you're putting holes in them and evacuating them that way, right? Like you blow a hole in somebody or you you get like a big cartoonish kind of... uh, screw saw, whatever those things are, drill bit or whatever, and you you go in, like, yeah, that's how you evacuate a person. Buildings, countries, they're evacuated. Okay, the jihadists the U.S. toppled 20 years ago for sheltering Osama bin Laden will now fly their flag over the U.S. embassy, building uh, over the building, 
on the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And if you think that doesn't matter for all the terrorists all around the world, I mean, the ones who are obviously vaccinated, right? Because they're like the ones who aren't vaccinated. I'm sure they're still on lockdown. Um, I will say they, they do have a, they do have a very strong commitment to the masks. I had noticed that over the years. Have you noticed that? Very on board with the mask mandates. It's true. Full body. Full body mandates in some cases. Well, for some genders. Well, I don't want to assume gender, but just, you know, for certain people that they determine with their religious law. Um, um, Oh, here we go. Secretary of State Blinken, July 7th. Here's what he said. We are not withdrawing. We are staying. The embassy is staying. Our programs are staying. If there is a significant deterioration in security, I don't think it's going to be something that happens from like a Friday to a Monday. Literally what happened. He said that on July 7th. Here's another clip. This was him on ABC's, I think it's called This Week. Jonathan Carl was the host. Uh, Respectfully, uh, not much about what we're seeing seems too orderly or standard operating procedure. I, I just, uh, <laughs> uh, just last month, uh, President Biden. Right, goes, like, you notice the way he's like, I'm really sorry to have to press this issue with you. Please, sir, can you answer my question? I mean, with all due respect, it doesn't exactly look like that. What, please tell me, is this, but this is the plan, right? I mean, we're, we're all, we're all on board here. Just tell me which direction to push said that under no circumstance, and that was his word, those were his words, under no circumstance were the U.S. personnel, embassy personnel, be airlifted uh, out of uh, Kabul in a replay of the scenes that we saw in Saigon in 1975. Uh, So... Isn't that exactly what we're seeing now? No. I mean, even the images uh, are evocative of no. what happened in Vietnam. Uh, let's take a step back. This is manifestly not Saigon. No. The fact of the matter is this. We went to Afghanistan 20 years ago uh, with one mission in mind, right. and that was to deal with the people who attacked us on 9-11. Uh, and that mission has been successful. We brought bin Laden to justice a decade ago. Uh, Al-Qaeda, the group that attacked us, has been vastly diminished. Its capacity to attack us again from Afghanistan uh, has been, uh, right now, uh, does not exist. Uh, And we're going to make sure that we keep in place uh, in the region uh, the capacity, the forces necessary to see any reemergence of a terrorist threat and to be able to deal with it. So in terms of what we set out to do in Afghanistan, uh, we've done it. Um, And now, uh, all along, uh, the president had a hard decision to make. And that decision was what to do with the remaining forces that we inherited when we came to office that, uh, that were in Afghanistan, uh, with a deadline established by the previous administration to get them out uh, by May 1st. Uh, that's, the, uh, th- that's the decision he made. Uh, we've been in Afghanistan for 20 years, a trillion dollars, 2,300 American lives lost. Uh, and again, thankfully, having succeeded in doing what we set out to do in the first place. The president made the determination that it was time to end uh, this war for the United States, to get out of the middle of uh, a civil war in Afghanistan, uh, and to make sure that uh, we were looking at our interests across the world, around the world, and that we were set up uh, to advance those interests. That's what we're doing. Yeah, in other words, we can't help it. Donald Trump said we had to be out by May 1st. Hey, Tony, you blew the deadline already, man. You already missed that.
News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Happy Rural Broadband Week. I didn't get you anything. You would think I could have got you like Rural Broadband, but I didn't. Now Governor Cooper proclaimed this whole week Rural Broadband Week to call attention to the urgent need to improve broadband in the rural areas. Exactly. Yeah. It's kind of right there in the name. Uh, let's see. This is also fun. I'm just clearing out some of the emails here during the break. And I got this one from the DNC as well. In case you missed it, the DNC's build back better stop in Durham highlights how president Biden and Democrats are delivering for North Carolina families. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. That, I'll take uh, stories that are not going to get the desired amount of coverage for $200, Alex. Thank you very much. Oh, oh. rest in peace. Sorry. It's not my intention to, who's the new guy? I don't even, yeah, he's, by the way, just to go off real quick on that, you heard who got the gig, right? Did you hear who got the gig? The new Alex Trebek? Was it the executive producer? Yes. And then, and then aren't they doing like the web series with the chick from um, Big Bang Theory? You'll have to be more specific. Uh, the crazy one, um, Sheldon's Blossom, Sheldon's girlfriend. Okay, I did. Was she? Is she actually? I think I've seen some clickbait that says she's actually very, very smart. She's a doctor. She's an actual doctor. Okay, I did not know that. I just heard that she's very. I mean, the clickbait says it, and if you can't <laughs> believe that, right? Were so you, like, were you, were you, you ba- never guess. Were you which... baited into the click? <laughs> no, I didn't click it. it. I just remember seeing her. Well, that's picture. that's why you know that she's not a doctor because you haven't clicked the <laughs> haven't right. clicked the bait. But it shows a picture of her, and not in her character. So it shows her, you know, all gussied up. Is that do they still use that term? I know I sound like a million, right? <laughs> um, but they, it's got a picture of her, and it's like you'll never guess which cast member of Big Bang Theory is actually a Mensa member. And like, well. I think it's that one because there's a picture of her. So yeah, I, she, yeah, she's like a neuroscientist. Wow, that's crazy. And an actress, actor. Sorry, actor. You know they don't use the actress actor anymore. Um, did I go where I needed to go with that? Now I'm drawing a blank. See, this is the problem. I'm I'm like I'm running on like three hours of of sleep last night. I just couldn't get to sleep. Too much stuff going on. Too much stuff going through my head. Well. I, f- I found a pair of roaches in the new apartment and it's like all I can think about now. Like I'm, I'm leaving here and I'm going to arm up with all sorts of chemical agents as you should to, yeah, to just obliterate everything in that apartment, everything. Those things just, you said that you were telling me during the break, that's German cockroaches, right? Yeah, I mean, from their accents, that's as best as I could tell. Yes. <laughs> They're driving Volkswagens. And- <laughs> Let's avoid any of the Nazi jokes. <laughs> yeah, they're bad. Um, well, I mean, I saw two. And, well, you know, uh, like, you know if you see one. There's, there's more behind that. Yeah. But, but, apparently, but you did the wrong thing. You killed one, and you're not supposed to kill him. You're not supposed to squish him because then it attracts more. You're supposed to squish him because it attracts more. Well, what am I supposed so, to do so, when so, I see the first so, one? So it's, I don't your, have so it's anything, your own fault, Pete. <laughs> I don't have anything to kill it with. You don't have any spray? No, I was. I'm moving in. I don't have. I have not. If I, have I not, if, if I see one, I'm literally running to, like to the drugstore to go. I get saw it. it last night. This was my point. It was last night. It was 
Like 11 o'clock at night. Can't you run to like a 24-hour CVS or something? Or a Target? No, or a I wall? killed it. I thought I did the right thing. And then I, then I was like tossing and turning. I woke up again at like 1.30 and I went back into the kitchen. I saw another one. Just moseying. It wasn't even like scurrying. It was just like strolling across the top of the... Oh, I hate them. <clears throat> the whole day I've just been thinking. I like I cannot stop thinking about... That's a little early. Oh, we have a press conference. Well, I had some other emails to read. Okay, we have a press conference. We're going to we're going to uh, we're going to eavesdrop. We're going to join in progress or jip it. J I P. Join in progress. It's not a slur. Um, we're going to join in progress. The uh, Mecklenburg County Health Department's. Um, what are they calling it? Oh no, it's not the health department. What is it? This is the super secret unelected people. The policy group. Yeah, that's it. The policy group. Let's hit the uh, WBT News Center now with Mark Muller. All right, News Talk 1110-993-WBT. The uh, county health director, Gibby Harris, announcing just moments ago they are recommending a countywide mask mandate take effect in 10 days. However... You could do it as soon as Wednesday. They're calling a special 3 p.m. Wednesday meeting of the Board of County Commissioners. Let's go ahead and join the press conference in progress. That we need to take this step now. Furthermore, we need to slow the spread of COVID-19 so we can avoid more drastic and serious measures such as social distancing and economic shutdowns. The Charlotte Mecklenburg Emergency Operations Center, the EOC, reopened last week in a virtual monitoring capacity to maintain situational awareness and assist in the response to the increase in COVID-19 infections in our community. We continue to work with Charlotte Fire Logistics to provide personal protective equipment and accommodate logistics requests. At this time, I'm gonna turn it over to my very good friend, Director Gibby Harris, for her (laughs) comments. That sounded genuine right there. How far away is she? Thank you, Chief Graham. Mecklenburg County as a whole continues to remain in the red. Both our case counts and our positivity rate indicate that we have significant transmission in our community. Our cases over the last two weeks have increased by 87%. We've seen eight deaths in the past two weeks, but unfortunately over the weekend we had five more that happened in our community. Over the past two weeks, 37.5% of recent deaths were among people aged 40 to 59. 50% of deaths were among African Americans. Our hospitalization numbers continue to be up, both for people with COVID having to be in the hospital as well as other situations that are requiring hospitalizations. This is stressing our hospitals, but we've been assured that they are continuing to be able to manage, but know that things could get more difficult over time. Our percent positivity rate is at 13%, but amongst our zip codes, it ranges from 4.7% to 17.1%. 50% of our cases are among individuals aged 25 through 39, and 20% of our cases between those zero to 17 years. Our African Americans are overrepresented in cases at 
and we have several zip codes that are overrepresented as well. We continue to see some post-vaccination cases, formerly called breakthrough cases. We know that we continue to see this in our community. The good news is that those cases do not represent significant illness, hospitalization, or death, but they do represent the possibility of um, transmission of this virus in our community. In terms of vaccines right now, we have 55% of our community partially vaccinated. 50% is fully vaccinated. That's great news. Children and young adults and black residents were, are all getting vaccinated at higher levels in the past 14 days. That's an overall trend for us and what we continue to seek in our community as we see that some of our disparities really occur in those populations. We are also getting ready to see third dose doses being provided in our community. That started today based on CDC guidance and FDA approval. The third dose will be provided to those who have moderate to severe immunocompromising conditions and who have previously received two doses of an mRNA vaccine. There will be no medical documentation required. It will be self-reported by the individuals. The Health Department is providing a third dose to eligible individuals starting today. We are asking people to please self-select if you fall into any of the categories agreed upon by CDC and experts at the national level, seek a third dose. If you do not fall into those categories, we ask that you allow us to continue to get our community vaccinated, at least with first and second doses. And currently, there's no additional dose of any vaccine authorized for individuals who receive the J&J &J vaccine for third doses. So we will continue to work through that situation with our community. We expect to see an increased demand for doses based on that, and we ask for people's patience as we continue to try to get first and second doses in as well. Several things that I want to point out. Number one, 50% of our population is still not vaccinated. This is a continuing issue for us as we try to get this situation under control in our county. We continue to see disparities in our community. And we continue to see a number of individuals not masking indoors, which has been a recommendation up to this point. We have to recognize the fact that our schools are convening in two weeks. All of our children are going back to school, many of whom cannot be vaccinated, half of whom who can be vaccinated have not been vaccinated. So we know we've got a situation that could cause significant issues for us for transmission of this virus in our community, especially among our young people. Um, that's the reason we need the masking in our community to protect them as they get back into school. We also know we have a holiday weekend coming up and we've had significant experience with holiday weekends creating increased cases in our community. So the bottom line is we need people to get vaccinated and we need people to wear masks. Those are the two things that are going to help us monitor, manage this situation, and keep us from continuing to escalate in our community. We know that COVID is here to stay. We have got to manage it. Vaccines and masks are going to help us manage this as we move into the winter and back into the spring again. We'll open now for questions. First question today is Joe Bruno. 
WSOC-TV. Hello. Uh, my question is for Dina. Um, I have a lot of questions. I don't know where to start. But um, let me just ask you these two questions. First, can you explain this public health rule that the county commissioners will be voting on Wednesday and how that would apply to the towns? Uh, this isn't an approach that the county has taken in the past, to my knowledge. Um, second question is, 13 media outlets called on you to open the policy group meeting today. You didn't respond to the letter. Why did you keep the public in the dark? So let me start with the public health uh, rule. So under the state statute, the public health department has the ability to um, ask the Board of County Commissioners as the Board of Health to adopt a public health rule if they could find, make a finding of an imminent hazard. And so in the past, uh, we have been able to um, move through this process in a way that uh, did not require us or, or need us to do that. Um, so this is a tact we're taking uh, this time around because we want to make sure that we get uh, countywide coverage uh, for the mask mandate. So this is the strategy we'll be using this time. Um, in terms of your letter, um, I appreciate you sending that to me. Um, I did review it. Um, I discussed it with the county attorney, and we um, came to the determination that the statute would not consider this body to be required to have open meetings to the public. <laughs> Next question. Thank you for Next your question. Next question is Brett Jensen, WBTV. Uh, yeah, a couple. Uh, thank you, William. Uh, a couple quick questions. Um, also. So you guys sent out a letter on uh, last week saying that on September 1st, fully county employees or county employees who are fully vaccinated will not have to wear a mask indoors. Will you revise that or is it only for county employees that won't have to wear a mask, but everyone else will? Good question. And why did you decide not to make the meeting public? So um, we will have to revise our guidance for county employees because everybody will have to wear a mask um, until the COVID cases uh, start to go down and our percent positivity rate decided to uh, ultimately goes down. It should be about uh, what I said earlier, I'll say it again, is that we looked at the statute, we looked at the work that we do as a policy group and made a determination that this is not a body that would be required to have open meetings. It's the same thing. Next why question. Not make it open why? Anyway. Right. Because there's some meetings that we have that are just staff, and there are other meetings that we have that are considered public bodies and meetings that are open to the public, and this just doesn't qualify. So we, we try to follow the rule and be consistent in terms of how we apply the statute. Next question. News Talk 1110-993 WBT. Local officials holding a news conference to announce they're putting us all back into masks. The Board of County Commissioners going to get a specially called meeting at 3 o'clock on Wednesday where they will, I assume, vote to approve another mask mandate countywide. they got a local rule that's going to kick in. They're asking all of the cities to pass local resolutions so they don't have to wait the full 10 days for it to take effect. A couple of the towns probably won't go along with that. We shall see. Let's uh, resume uh, in progress the uh, the briefing going on there in the Q&A portion. And then, yeah, just one more quick with the with you guys being notified on the 7th and then that made public on the 11th. Is that a typical time between those days or is there a reason why maybe you all didn't come out and say something, even though if the state told you on the 7th 
maybe that following Monday about, hey, we're looking at this, this cluster here. So actually, I didn't, I, we didn't get any notification until that Friday, and we had conversations with both the state and with Atrium over the weekend, so we were aware of what was going on in the situation, but um, it became clear that the, the story to tell was Atrium's story. Um, it was their outbreak, they were managing it, working with the state, and so for that reason, we did not make any type of announcements at that point. Allison Kuznets. Charlotte Observer. Gibby, could you give us some insight into what the hospital leaders were recommending today? Did they support a mass mandate or did they want to do something stronger? Could you talk about um, the status of hospital capacity if they're dipping into surge capacity if we're on the point and maybe reviewing elective procedures? And can you talk about the damage that's been done that the CDC guidance came out on July 27th? It's now August 16th. How many cases, how many hospitalizations could have been avoided if we had a mass mandate? Uh, at the end of July. Oh my, oh my. Um, both hospital systems are supportive of the action that is being taken right now. When we talk to them today, they are very supportive of it. They believe in the importance of masks and how right, that's going to help us I, get I, I to, okay. All right. Note the assumption built into that question. How many, how many cases could have been avoided if we had a mask mandate? What is that? What is the assumption there? That the masks that we're all walking around with these cloth masks, not the N95 masks, not the respirators, right? No, no, walking around with cloth, like, dish towels over our faces, right? That's supposed to be the great salvation. This is the thing that's going to save everybody is the masks. It's built into the question. It's an assumed fact. Nobody ever asks, hey, what kind of studies you got that actually support that? They don't ask that. They don't go back to the building block. They just jump ahead, assume that there must be science because these government officials are telling us they relied on the science, the science and data. That's the mantra. That's what, of course, they relied on the science and data. Wait, what do you take them for? We're not political, right? That's what Dina DiOrio said, the county manager. We've been meeting like this for a year and a half, and we've been doing a fantastic job, she said. I mean, if I do say so myself, we don't act political at all. We've been representing the people fantastically. Yeah, not your job, actually. Not your job. You're not our representative, county manager, city managers, town managers. You're not our representatives because we don't elect you. I'm on a tangent. I apologize and really base that decision on the data. And that's the plan at this point. Is there an enforcement mechanism to this mandate? Will people face any fines for not wearing Can we arrest people? Please, let's arrest them. We don't have our legal counsel here with us, oh. and um, I hesitate to talk for him Stone too much. But there is the Stone opportunity age. for a civil pen penalty in a Board of Health rule, Ooh. and we'll be looking at that as that rule gets written. Oh, yeah. Yes. Robin Kennedy. Mask harder. Pay the fine. Hi, thank you. If you all are making decisions in the interest of public health and decisions driven by data, and why are you shutting the public out from this meeting? Because shut up, member of the press. That's why. Oh, do you want to take this? You want to take that? Oh, you want to take this? So I think it's 
it needs to be clear that we are not making decisions about anything. No. We make recommendations right. to our elected boards, and the elected boards make decisions which are all done in public. Right. What we do at the policy group meeting is discuss possible recommendations that we need to make to elected officials. The other thing I want to say about Allison's question about July 26 and the CDC's guidance, at that time, what we were seeing is we were seeing a high increase in number of cases in unvaccinated people. And so we were really pushing to increase vaccination rates. It wasn't until we saw an increasing number of post-vaccination infections that we realized it was important to impose a mask mandate. Next question. Hunter Sines, WCNC. Hey there, Dina. Um, just a little bit more on enforcement. I mean, how exactly is, let's just say Wednesday's rule first um, with the city and Mecklenburg Unincorporated. How is it going to be enforced? Will businesses face a fine or get reported if they don't imprisonment, follow imprisonment, a mask imprisonment. And Also, can you explain which indoor places people are going to have to wear masks? <laughs> are we talking like Spectrum Center, the grocery store, restaurants? Everywhere. So it would be all indoor places. That's go. the recommendation mask wearing on all indoor Going places. Backwards. And the enforcement will be similar to the way that we had done enforcement uh, before. Um, you know, businesses would ask people to wear a mask when they come into their place of business. If they refuse to do so, this would be on the enforce on the law or the sort of the criminal side. Um, they would um, ask the person to leave. If the person refused to leave, then they would call the police and the police would come and they would arrest them for trespassing. When we had a mask mandate before, we did not see that happen. That, you know, we did achieve a lot of voluntary compliance and that's the expectation this time around is that we will achieve And that's uh, why the case compliance. numbers and hospitalizations we are, as said, went up. Of civil After the mass mandate went um, into effect. That's why it went, they went up. I mean, they eventually went down, but they went up after the mass mandate. That's what we're, we're striving for again, I guess, is to have the mass mandate uh, issued and then the case counts and hospitalizations to go up and then eventually come back down. And then they can claim credit that that's what worked. Two questions. To be clear, if the Board of County Commissioners passes this recommendation, this mass mandate would be enforced or this mass mandate would be in effect everywhere, including towns that would have boards that do not want to see it. And then secondly, I spoke with one mayor who previously was in favor of a mass recommendation, but after receiving some public input, decided that he was against it. Is part of the reason this policy group stays secret is because they're trying to avoid public input or public pressure? Uh, well, to your first question, the Hello. answer is Leading yes, it would question. be um, effective in all six towns in Mecklenburg County. Um, I don't I, I sort of differ with your opinion that we're doing things in secret. We're having meetings of professionals in the county in um, that are helping to formulate policy right. recommendations. Without anybody else and it has invited. nothing to do with public input right. or pressure because when these recommendations go to the full board of county commissioner or to city council or to this any town laughable. board, any member this of the public insulting. has the opportunity to come and speak to the board either for or against any recommendation we make. So to say that the right. public doesn't have any public input um, is just incorrect. That's, he, that's not what he said he said it was secret you objected to the term this is an insult this is insulting you're having these meetings outside of the public view you're then bringing the recommendation and anybody who has covered local government or any government knows how staff drives processes how they drive policy i mean unless something has changed in the last 10 years since i was covering local government but that's i mean Dina DiOrio, she was Harry Jones' protege, and that's the way he ran the show, so 
Again, maybe everything changed, and now, oh, here's a couple policies. You guys are totally on your own to make whatever decision you want to. I'm not buying that, though. All right. Fred Winterbull's up next. We'll talk with you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.